0: festive future we come together to talk about tough subjects if you're not interested in alternative points of view this may not be the podcast for you make sure to do your own research alongside and drop us a line if you have anything to say
1: So, um, there are different factors that drive the change in our climate, the main perpetrator being the sun, uh, without which we would be a cold, cold world, but the pollution aspect is driven by our need for energy, ways to sort out climate change or to, to affect real change in the world uh, to prevent the climate from running away from us. In a negative way, we have to look at ourselves and address uh, our own energy uses as well as try to regulate pollutions so that the environment itself is not destroyed. We should make a distinction between dumping things in the water or landfills and the like uh, versus things that affect the atmosphere, which is what is the main driving force behind the climate changing is the changing greenhouse gases in the upper atmosphere. The energy is getting captured and then stored because of the greenhouse gases. A lot of people don't want to accept that humans have a role to play, but we definitely do, uh, since we're releasing the greenhouse gases. There's a tipping point that we'll reach soon. It might be impossible for us to not get to that but there's a lot of methane that's underneath the permafrost, especially in Russia and in Canada. And if this methane gets released, the methane is several thousand times, or at least a thousand times, stronger as a greenhouse gas than CO2, which is the main big bad wolf that everyone keeps talking about is also CO2. It gets but.
0: produced from landfills and stuff, right? Mm-hmm.
1: Methane is a natural byproduct of a lot of things, just like CO2 is for mm-hmm. plants and things. In our Earth's past, we've had different time periods where there's been more carbon dioxide than there is currently. We're in an interglacial period. It's technically still in the ice age, just not full-blown covered with ice like we used to be. So we're in this nice warming period right now that we've been in for a couple of thousand years, but especially the last 200 or so years have been very warm, although we did have a couple of cold spells there. But overall we've seen the climate be warming. This is related to our efforts with fossil fuels and accessing more energy. One of the great benefits is that we're able to produce a lot more food, but now we're been so heavily subsidizing the fossil fuel industry for fertilizer and transportation and various things that it actually takes about ten calories to produce one calorie of food in our current system. So it's really not viable unless we can find a way to make... Ten
0: calories? What
1: is that? Calories are a way of defining energy. Mm. Your food that you eat has calories in it, which is how you gain weight. It
0: It takes ten calories.
1: Ten calories of fossil fuel uh, related mm. resources in order to produce one calorie of food. Which it's is the way we measure yeah. the efficiency
2: yeah. of anything like food production or even on renewable energy when we convert from, say, solar to electricity or wind energy to electricity. Mm-hmm. It's all about
1: efficiency.
0: Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, sure.
1: Whereas in the past it was a much lower ratio, like mm. three to one or something. It was much more doable. But as things have ramped up, people are more and more reliant on uh, cheap uh, fossil fuels to do all manner of things, not just uh, for food. One of the main expenses for a typical household is heating of the house and cooling and heating of the water and uh, finding ways to reduce these things would be ideal for the most amount of people. Yeah, but but before we go to the discussion of
2: how to fight the climate change yeah, right you mentioned about what are the factors affecting of the climate change and the main term why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. we are calling it like a change because it is always changing mm-hmm. from prehistoric era it's about the rate of change yeah right and
0: did that start mostly after the industrial revolution mostly
2: industrial uh, revolution and after world war 2
0: why there,
2: too? Because in World War II, the technology got advanced rapidly during that war. After Manufacturing that, had a lot of yes. advances, yeah. So from 1950s to, I think, today, we have produced so much plastic-related things. It's unimaginable how they're polluting the environment for only last 60, 70 years mm-hmm. yeah. compared to... Uh, other centuries.
1: Yeah, I think there's like an island of plastic in the Pacific the size of France. Again, we want to make the distinction between pollution and things that affect the the climate changing. So plastics, especially microplastics and such, are terrible, but nature will properly find a way. And we've already found some microbes in the ocean that actually consume and eat the plastic and convert it into other things that are more biodegradable. So it's just like When trees invented wood for a long time, nothing could eat the wood because the bacteria and the fungi didn't know how to do it. And so you have petrified wood because suddenly the earth was just covered in trees. They would just fall and stay there because nothing could decompose it. And it took a while for nature to figure out how to decompose this thing that it accidentally created, apparently. I never
2: knew that. No, the factors which we are discussing, like plastic fossil fuel. They are so much integrated to our daily life mm. that it's hard to get rid of them mm. immediately. But there's another component here, which is like our lifestyle is also because of climate change. Like say I have one t-shirt. To produce one t-shirt, it takes gallons of water. And now imagine say five or six T-shirt is sufficient for me for my regular lifestyle. But I buy 20 t-shirts. <laughs> Just to show off or something, people do that. That's right. So I mean,
0: I probably have more than twenty shirts. Yes, yeah, so.
2: I I also have that. So that's what <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, we are so get used to of things that we don't always keep that in mind. That how much energy does it take to produce those products? You know,
0: it's hard to hold that responsibility. Though I get that guilt sometimes, and it stifles me. And then I'm like. No, I can buy this, and then I'll just donate to somebody else that needs it, or it's there. So like, if I if I don't, where's it gonna go if I don't buy it? It'll be interesting in a future though, where you have like a. I mean, I'm not saying I want this, but you have like a rationed amount of pieces of clothing you can buy
1: mm-hmm. per
0: month or. I'm sure year. The, the
1: state will one day be happy to tell you that. Really yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of things with regards to climate change that I think. At least in America, you have a lot of pushback, mostly coming from Republicans, because they feel that the government is overstepping its bounds. I think a lot of people in industry maybe are starting to change their tune because they want to align with the consumer, but it's really a matter of incentives. If you don't incentivize uh, people or companies or governments to make changes, Mm -hmm. they won't. It's such a huge thing. I mean, if you, I think you brought up when we were discussing it earlier um, how quickly the world was able to mobilize its efforts to fight uh, the pandemic that we just experienced recently. Uh, And it's still ongoing. We're still fighting that. And yet, climate change, we've known that something was going on that we were affecting it in some way since the 60s and 70s. Scientists have been screaming from the top of their mountains for years and years and years, some politicians, like Jimmy Carter, listened to them, and others uh, didn't. These things are uh, complex. There's different solutions for different countries. Different countries have different factors that they have to worry about.
0: Well, that, and it's so, not immediately life-threatening. And it's not immediately tomorrow or right, right mm-hmm. now, or
1: down so, the road. You know,
0: right? It's it's a, 10,
1: 20 years out. It's probably mm, probably still going to be okay.
0: Right. Um, so I think it's going to be long-term incremental. Mm-hmm. Evolution of change of processes and and lifestyles, as Shank was saying.
2: Right. So, like, a fun fact. Today, before coming to this podcast, I was talking to my flatmate about this episode we are going to record. And this point came up, like, it's a long-term threat. And then he mentioned, just out of nowhere, that we are from India, like, I and my flatmate. And he said that if I go to India and... Talk to a typical educated person, um, and I say that okay, uh, we want to fight climate change so that my son can live a better life after sixty years. Oh, sure. And then, I will get a typical reply that, like, you don't have to think about what will happen after sixty years because your son may die after two years out of like not having food.
0: Mm-hmm. Other. Thoughts.
2: Yeah, people mm-hmm. are so into solving the other problems mm-hmm. that they don't consider climate change as a problem at all in third world countries.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's a pretty valid point, that mm-hmm. it's not uh, immediate threat and we should not feel guilty of not considering it at all because there are reasons to not consider it in some parts of the world.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we're at the point where if we don't start making lifestyle changes, Mm -hmm. when it does get to the point where it's an immediate threat, it's going to have to be a drastic change. It's going to have to be like a 180 to your lifestyle versus if you do it by degrees. And so it's more important than ever to go ahead and start now instead of waiting because no one's going to really buy into that drastic lifestyle change. But if you're like, all we need you to do is... Reduce the amount of food that you throw away in a week by 10 pounds. Okay. It's doable. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, that's the thing. Like, th- these type of solutions are more applicable to the advanced countries. I guess immediate steps or the mindset change is easy to produce in those countries. Mm-hmm. The food waste problem, especially for U.S., is a big problem. One-third of the food which is produced gets wasted. But as I know, in India, it's not that much of a big deal because people don't get to eat food. There are different solutions out there, but to impose it in a regular basis from now is difficult because the situation is different in different places. This is from the economic perspective from different countries, but as Bagsby was mentioning, it depends on the weather of the country as well to have what type of solutions. Like we have different renewable energy solutions. Solar, wind, geothermal energy, wave energy, hydroelectricity, biofuel, different types but we can't expect all the countries to use all the solutions, they can't. Finland and Sweden, they are more towards wind but Germany, Australia, they are more towards solar even within us texas I mean, is more to us
1: every country will have a different mix every state every every, every group and i think that's fine as long as um, we're addressing the main factor is uh, energy demands fossil fuels are like a drug for us because we need the spice to keep flowing we need we're hooked in to this lifestyle of abundant energy cheap energy too until we created fracking which is another American industry that we just kind of created out of the middle of nowhere, kind of like the oil industry. America was an importer of energy, and now we're an exporter. Um, Because aside how terrible it might be for water tables, uh, if you do it for a long time, that is a big deal to change your country from needing energy to exporting energy. That alone is huge. I mean, natural gas burns cleaner and is a better medium of exchange in a lot of ways for uh, a lot of industries and stuff. Um, but we still have uh, oil burning facilities uh, for power because you turn on a switch and the power's on. Whereas with solar and wind, if it wind's not blowing, the sun's not shining, uh, they don't work. Wind, I mean, solar can work all the time uh, if we put it in outer space, but that's totally different. Subject altogether. Oh, I'm curious. Yeah. What is solar in outer space? <laughs> the Japanese and Americans have experimented and successfully transmitted energy from outer space to the land, proving that you could have a huge solar array in outer space uh, geosynchronously locked, tidally locked to the Earth, and then it would just beam energy down infinitely until the panels went out of power. Do
2: they have a prototype?
1: Um, Yeah, but it's not it's not uh, it's not big enough to be, you know, sufficiently useful.
2: Okay, because uh, as you mentioned Japan Mm -hmm. Recently they have developed uh, a technology which can harness energy from typhoon. The device looks similar to a wind farm but instead of the vertical plane of rotation it has like kind of horizontal Mm -hmm. plane to harness the typhoon yeah. power and they're saying like if they can harness just entire power of one typhoon that can power a huge portion of japan Yeah. and they have like 30 35 typhoons every year right <laughs> these technologies and i don't i did not know about outer space so yeah well i mean
1: it's it's a long ways off but things Companies like SpaceX and stuff are helping to reduce the cost of the monumental task of what that would involve. But it's a lot easier to just build the uh, the panels on the Earth and distribute them to people than it is to put it in space. But eventually, as the rest of the world comes to living a lifestyle similar to America uh, or to other first world countries, the demands are going to be so high that, you know, we won't be able to get terawatts of energy just from... Normal sources will have to look elsewhere, either to nuclear fusion or, or to outer space. You know?
2: I will advocate for wave energy, you know, uh, because I feel that, like, solar, wind, they have lower efficiency, um, even though the electronic converters which are used inside, their efficiency is high, but, like, uh, the first stage of conversion has lower efficiency. But the wave, we can predict their energy Quite accurately, they don't depend on the uh, rainy weather or not. Mm-hmm. Like hydroelectricity, their efficiency is also higher.
1: Yeah, so hydro um, is a really good source. It interrupts the rivers and streams and natural systems, oh, but it, it, it does yeah, provide uh, it other yeah. other things that are useful. I mean, humans have always adapted the environment to suit them. Um, These are so, so
0: many things that I didn't even know about that people oh. are doing.
1: Yes. Oh so yeah, wave energy is a big industry. If,
0: industry. if people don't do a lot of research on this, and I could, you know, raise my hand as one of those people, all of the fear around this could be dissipated by knowing that so many people are, and companies and countries are, they're doing so many great things right now. They're not just doing nothing, they're trying to do things.
1: Yeah. Right. we're all making
0: we're making progress it's just i agree with you that it
4: could help relieve some of that fear but i also feel like that's a contributing factor to people's apathy as far as the mm-hmm. situation is concerned yeah i feel like the viewpoint is i won't do it until they pass a policy that's making me do it mm-hmm. or if, it, if one of the things that's contributing to it is the amount of food that we're throwing away, well, food is, a, is an agriculturalist job, it's a farmer's job, so then the farmers are the ones who are supposed to be coming up with the solution. It's like we talk about how we want to be one, we talk about we're, we're all the same, but then when it comes to solving stuff, it's like, well, I'm in this category of human, and since that falls into your category of human you're the one that's supposed to come up with the solution, so I feel like there is a lot of pressure on other entities to try to solve the problem, and then everyone's just kind of looking back like, well, I don't belong to that group, so let me know when you come up with the solution, and then I'll you know do something about it type of thing.
1: Okay.
0: Do you all think that we're trying to fight the changing climate? to save our species or our
1: planet. I think humans are always trying to save the species. A lot of our endeavors are short-sighted because we don't think about generations that are to come. We think about what's happening right now, and maybe some people look to the past. Most people are too busy living their lives to worry about that stuff. And that's where good leadership is supposed to step in and, and help. Mm-hmm. People have, a, you know, you need to have a vision for the future. We're spot
4: on because of all the development that's happening in Raleigh. What happens to everybody that's further down the noose is anytime it rains here in the concrete jungle, everybody that's further down the noose ends up having their houses flooded out. So like in Goldsboro, you know, those 100 year floods that were only supposed to happen every 100 years were happening within five years of one another. And it's a combination of, you know, building the concrete jungle and then not dredging the noose. And they're like, well, it's too expensive to dredge the noose. Well then, how much more is FEMA paying when they have to go and buy out all these homes that are now in a floodplain that used to not be in a floodplain, but because of...
1: And then on top of that, the soil underneath the cities with all this pavement are degrading because they're not getting the moisture. And uh, bacteria and things that you need to keep the soil healthy can't live if there's no water. <laughs> so, I mean, it's, the difference between rock, sand, and soil is, you know, pretty significant. And a lot of places have a lot of clay or uh, sand or uh, rock. And that, the different mixtures change how the soil interacts with our places. So, like, sinkholes happen a lot in cities because there might be a small leak somewhere well, the, the reason the sinkhole forms is because that water is being sucked away and the the land underneath the pavement is dry, and so it just naturally recesses it, and then it just, you just get a sinkhole. So just real quick, this is just for the U.S. energy consumption uh, as of 2020 in quadrillion BTUs, which is British Thermal Units, which is another way to measure energy, um, broken down by sector. And this is... Quadrillion BTUs, so it's a lot. Industry uh, makes up 36% at about 25 quadrillion BTUs. Transportation is 24 which is 35%. So these are the two main uses of energy. And then residential is 17% at 11.5 quadrillion, and commercial is at uh, 12% at 8.7 quadrillion BTUs. So any way that we can focus our efforts. On industry and transportation will have a, a larger scale impact. If we're able to increase efficiencies, if we're able to reduce consumption in those two fields, it'll have a trickle down effect of overall helping everything else. Uh, whereas residential, we actually have the most power to change because that's up to us as a consumer, as a person who, and commercial as well. If we don't support companies who, we know are not doing the right thing environmentally, the, the market will listen to us if enough people vote with their dollars. But again, it's, it's about getting enough people to think that, or to know that it's a serious issue worth um, putting the little bit of extra effort in to, to avoid uh, some of the worst uh, offenders.
0: To get back to question three, yep. mm-hmm. um, species versus planet. I feel like it's a little bit of both, too. Because when I think about the future and the potential of us going to Mars, say we will and we can get to Mars, a lot of people aren't going to want to leave Earth. And some people, you know, might not be able to leave Earth. And Earth is so pretty, so I feel like... and beautiful, and it nurtures us and fulfills us. So I feel like there's an equal amount of saving species plus saving our planet because this is our home.
1: Yeah, I I think, you know, most people nowadays have some love for the Earth, but... um,
0: I think we take it for granted,
4: We take it for
1: granted, yeah, so...
4: Isn't part of the race to Mars um, from the mindset of, well, we've already screwed this planet up beyond reconciliation, so we're just going to take an elite group? Someone was telling me that's Elon's... Uh, mantra I think, let's go ahead and get to Mars with the elite people and then I mean it's it's
1: more it's more really for um, survival of the species. Um, Elon Musk is 100% correct. the longer we all stay on the same planet, the more likely we are as a species to be wiped out by some major event. If uh, the Yellowstone goes off that's a super volcano. Uh, game over guys. No more. Don't don't worry about uh, your subscriptions and paying your bills. It's game over. The civilization will end. Uh, all systems will shut down at that point, point. Um, and that's on Earth. You know, an asteroid could hit us. The sun could go, have a huge solar flare or something that would wipe out our uh, electronics. That would that would do us in. Uh, we have you know almost twenty thousand nuclear uh, weapons that could uh, cause a lot of problems. So, or there's a pandemic that could happen, maybe. This, we don't uh, need to talk
0: about all well, these yeah. things. Well, yeah, okay,
1: well, but what I'm saying is that all of scared. all of these things are terrible, but they're all just on Earth, and if we have multiple planets and multiple places that our species is at, living, surviving, thriving, uh, we're going to be bringing other kinds of life with us to live with us. Uh, we're not going to go to Mars by ourselves, we're taking lots of pathogens Ooh, with us. are we and,
0: building an ark?
1: Um, it's kind of like an ark, <laughs> in a way. It's You're a, two of all animals
0: Yeah, well, wow.
1: peregrine falcons, uh, pigeons, rats, uh, cockroaches, these species are going to come with us wherever we go, uh, whether we want them to or not, uh, it's probable. That oh, this, this I don't
2: want happen. cockroach to be in <laughs> on Mars. <and laughs>
1: I mean, it's like, someone came to America, and I think we didn't have some type of bird, I think it was like starlings or something, and they were a big fan of um, Shakespeare, and they decided to release a bunch of st- starlings so that they could have starlings in the city or whatever, and now they're just everywhere. You know, it's an invasive species, but invasive species are only successful because they can do things that the species that are native can't do. It's so it's
0: impossible to control all of that. Yeah, it is impossible,
1: and, and nature doesn't care whether the native plants live or die. Nature only cares do the most fit survive. It might have an invasive species that moves in and takes over an area, and that area might degrade in some way because certain native species were specialized to different niches, and now this new species that's come in has to specialize to fill in those niches that are missing. And as it does it, it'll become more and more uh, specialized and might speciate out and become different species, subspecies. And so that's just how life has always worked.
4: We do have a little bit of control over it. We have a monoculture mindset. We go with what has the highest yield or what has the the quickest turnaround or whatever the case may be. And, you know.
1: And that's worked out really well for us. I mean, we have a lot of calories that we're able to produce. But then if one disease spreads, you have to get rid of the whole field. We're crops.
4: basically setting ourselves up for another Irish potato famine yep. but with like some of the most especially, beloved plants that we've got on the planet.
1: Well, I mean, especially <laughs> when you look at the laws that are on the books for controlling uh, the genetics of the plants. Uh, certain companies that I will not name that start with an M have got the lockdown on their uh, particular types of uh, corn that they grow and other things, other crops that they offer with uh, proprietary knowledge for and pesticides and herbicides and different things that they've come up with that the plants are resistant to because they've genetically altered these plants to be resistant to these things. And, you know, that's great. But now you have a field of cloned plants, basically, that are all more or less the same thing.
4: I mean, I understand why they're doing that. They're trying to meet the demand. Right. But also, our demand is not as great as we make it out to be. Right. I mean, at any given moment, you've got four times the amount of food on your grocery shelf than what will actually be consumed. I mean, they do the numbers on it. They know that it's not going to get consumed. They know that they're going to throw it away. But marketing says you have to have it full up so that you know people want to buy it and
1: mm-hmm. and rather than make the stores smaller and more accessible to you know different people they go with the big store because for logistics reasons it makes more sense just like that truck leaving the factory or the warehouse has to be full if you want to get the maximum out of it and even from energy cost saving perspective that makes sense i mean if you're a small-time farmer and you have to drive to three different farmers markets to sell all your wares you're going to want to make sure that you're going to sell all your wares you don't want to end up at the end of the day having to take half your truck full of stuff back right so we've done a really good job of figuring out those problems but when it comes to figuring out problems that affect all of us on a global scale we really struggle technically war is illegal Because the U.N. passed a law saying that war is illegal. And luckily, we've not had any wars since they've done that in the 1950s, right? No one's had any war. No war, right? Yeah, no war, right? Because it's illegal. So, you know, how do you control human action when people don't want to go along with your advice, right? And uh, there's the hard way, which is where you show up with guns and you make people do things that they don't want to do, like pay taxes, or, uh, you know, drive drive through the green light and not through the red light. Or you do things the easier way, which is to incentivize people to make the right choices for themselves. Yeah, so I think energy is, like, the main driving force behind the climate change barriers, you know, is you know, people in industry and in transportation, or whatever, they don't want to have to make the cars more fuel-efficient. They don't want to have to, because it's... There's one more thing that they have to deal with. Even there was a lot of pushback against the idea of like carbon credits or uh, taxing carbon, right? And what does that mean to tax carbon? Well, you're taxing life at that point. You know, if I'm consuming less carbon than you, then I pay less money? Well, then how's that fair? Like, you know, maybe I have a totally different lifestyle than you. Maybe you live in the city, I live in the countryside. Maybe I can do these things and you can't. At some point, people have to figure out what do we need to have at a bare minimum, to be happy.
0: That reminds so. me of the donut economics mm-hmm. that Shank had posted. Like Amsterdam, oh. embracing a new economic theory to help Calvin. save the environment. And it was... Uh, they're trying to find a threshold between comfortable living, but also only using what you need. And that, like you're saying, that mm-hmm. can be different for a lot of different people. So... Um, that's the challenge that they're taking on fully. I mean, that's pretty impressive to announce that publicly that that's something that you want to strive towards because that <laughs> seems impossible. But well, to go for it,
1: we walked on the moon. I think we can. Sure, it down, of course. You know? So,
0: are there any other technology technological breakthroughs that we haven't touched on that we'd like to talk about?
2: No, I want to mention one uh, point. Is uh, like you said that. Car companies, they are not trying to make more efficient engines because they are uh, okay with the current market hold they have. Even with any product, the marketing policy is to have, say, 10 years or 15 years of warranty max. So that they always get some buyers, you know. Like Bagsby was mentioning a few days back that if we want, we can make a washing machine which will last 100 years, you know. Sure. We don't make
1: them.
3: Mm-hmm. So
1: you mean planned obsolescence, that yeah. they make things to break down.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I was talking about this with uh, somebody, I can't remember who it was, but about Xbox and how they'll release a version, but then a year later or two years later, they'll release updates. But if you're in the... The meaning for the like the one that's being released, and you're like, oh, I, let's let's add more storage. I figured out how to do it. They're like, well, no, we gotta we'll wait. Wait, till the next wait for that one. Let them buy this one, and then we'll release the, the updated one.
1: Well, I think with electronics, there's a little bit of a special case because of Moore's law and, and that stuff. But we're pretty closely approaching part of the electrical systems. Limit where of we're we're, Yeah, we're getting near mm-hmm. the limit. Like, we're starting to see um, some weird quantum stuff happen if we're. It's
2: already at at atomic level. Like, uh, I think now we can build a chip of fingerprint size where it can have billions of transistors, something like that. It's all atomic level, right, Carl?
3: Yeah. So, like, our current chips, let's say on the Mac, for example, it's like 10 billion transistors. 10 yeah. billion on, on the map, Yeah, on yeah, just the chip. And that's uh, like 5 nanometers, which is smaller than like Nanometer. organelles in your cell. Yeah. So your cell is like 10 times bigger than a transistor.
0: What?
3: Yeah. Oh my God. Um So yeah, pretty soon the transistors are going to approach the size of the atoms and cells and we can't do any better because we can't, you know, go beyond that. There will, I'm pretty sure we'll find ways to keep making new products to keep driving cells, Bugsby is right, we are approaching the limit of having free improvements just by shrinking stuff because we're approaching that limit where things can shrink anymore.
2: But I think that this is related to the computation power which drives everything around us. Even though we can have a limit on cheap integration, there's always next step where people are working on like quantum computing which will be a solution. So there are breakthroughs happening.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Quantum, yeah. Quantum computing is still a little ways off, I think, before we see a lot of practical uses for it. But the other interesting thing that happens with electronics is that it sucks up a huge amount of energy and produces a huge amount of heat. And that's something, you know, now that with cryptocurrencies and things people are starting to address as a concern, because in the future, we're going to need even more of these things to run all these different currencies that are being created all the time, and hopefully eventually we'll come up with a standardized system. But basically, they're going to be replacing banks with these machines that can keep track of everything. If you can keep track of everything, then you can keep track of everything. So that that apple that came off the tree, it it can have a tag, it can have a, a number on a blockchain, and we can know where that spinach leaf that caused salmonella, which field it came from, which plant, which farmer, everything. So, And that's ultimately what the goal of uh, those systems are, is to be able to keep track of all that stuff. Because then if
3: you have perfect information, you can make much better predictions. This is kind of like bringing off the topic a little bit I remember us like talking about how we as a society are transitioning from owning things to renting them mm-hmm. or subscribing to things. The pipeline hack that happened a few months ago now, probably like mm-hmm. two months ago. Um, although the ransom, which was in Bitcoin, was recovered because it's part of a blockchain. You can track it pretty much wherever it goes. So most of that was recovered. A modest
1: sum, only like $5 million or something. That's, yeah.
3: that's like not even
1: a minute of their profit in a given day. Like they'll probably make that much like right. in an right. hour it's or It's like
3: something. a daily, daily revenue for them. Yeah. But so the that. entire country is brought to halt. Well, pretty much the East Coast, just yeah. the East Coast. Yeah. But yeah, so that is another you know thing where you can't really be sustainable. Let's say if even if you want to, for example, uh, I think Elon's long-term plan for Tesla is that he will eventually stop s- s- selling Teslas, right? Because um, the value of the car will be pretty much tremendous because if you just run it and then while you're at work it drives itself then um, that's a lot of revenue like if you can keep the car going just like an airplane which pretty much never stops, they just switch the pallets and that's a lot of revenue so a car will be able to be worth let's say hundreds of thousands of revenue at that point people will not be able to afford them so you can just subscribe to tesla and whenever you need a ride you'll get a ride just like you would subscribe to t mobile And it'd be cheaper than an Uber
1: because they're not paying for someone's time. You're just paying for someone's car. Exactly. And you won't be allowed to drive because driving is a privilege and the AI systems will do it better than humans can. So it'll be safer and faster. So there's even more incentives to have better energy systems that are more efficient. Um, And that kind of goes back to computational power with the chips. Once we reach that limit, which is a hard limit set by physics, then the next barrier will be how can we do the same amount of computations with less energy, with half the energy, or a tenth of the energy, or a hundredth. And if you can figure that out, then you're talking about, you know, some serious, serious moolah, because that'll be a game changer for
3: sure. Um, So it's very hard to imagine us being sustainable when we're transitioning to a... Um, subscription-based life, essentially, right? I'm pretty sure, well, I'm not pretty sure, I'm speculating, but in a couple of generations, people will not own things. So, like... Well, some people won't. Yeah, a majority of people won't. Like, right now, let's say, a third of all Americans own houses. In the future, it's probably, like, just the elite who can own, like, land and property. Um, and we're talking about electronics that we can't get any more storage that much anymore, right? We're stalling. Um, but now, if you, let's say, you're a Google subscriber, you subscribe to Google One and all your storage is just uploaded to, to the cloud. So you got a space problem. You just subscribe for $10 a month and Google will lend you their storage. So yeah. it's gonna be uh, come to a point where in order to like, exist in society, you have to subscribe to life in a way. Because if you don't work and you don't subscribe to like those services that you need to um, be a normal person, you're just you're nothing. You'll be they'll a ne- on the they'll need a they'll need a secure system that can keep track
1: of everyone's expenses and things, which is yeah. what uh, blockchain technology might be able to offer a solution to that. And then you'd be able to, uh, if you had all your credentials in order, you would be able to uh, exist in that subscription-only yeah. thing, right? You would you'd be able to buy and sell it at your leisure because you would be subscribing to one thing or not or whatever. Yeah, I think there's a lot of technologies that can slow down uh, the global warming process, but I think realistically we aren't going to stop it at this point. If we were serious about it, we would have been doing stuff since the 80s and 90s. If we'd been really active then, maybe uh, we could have avoided it.
0: I think Galana made a good point in our prep conversation about some of our solutions only being linear solutions, Mm -hmm. like fixing the task at hand but not thinking about what happens after or the byproduct of the fix. Well,
4: I was kind of thinking about when you mentioned if we would focus on industry and transportation that we would be solving these or that we would be making a lot of headway And I thought to myself, like, I know you're going to be so tired of me talking about food all the time, but think about how much transportation goes into getting food all over the place that ends up not even being consumed because of our marketing strategies and and all that other stuff. And, And so then that's still helping with the transportation, but it's also helping with the food issue too. And that's what I meant by having something that's, cyclical versus linear so you know our thought process is we're just going to change whatever the inputs are and not focus on the outputs or we're only going to focus on the outputs and not the inputs and how we can make some a difference there but you know we need to be talking about food waste as well as talking i mean because when it goes to the landfill that's obviously creating all those emissions and and causing those problems do you ever get annoyed that like these celebrities will jump on this train of like The lyric from that song says, farmer, put away your DDT. I don't care about spots on the apples. Just leave me the birds and the bees. And yet, those same celebrities don't get behind things like the ugly food movement, Mm -hmm. where people are selling produce for much cheaper because it just has maybe a a blemish on it. And it's still completely fine. has all the same nutritional value as the regular one. Yeah, like
0: Misfits Market, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And
4: consumers are just so fickle. They're so far removed from what it takes to put food on the table that they don't realize like they have a ridiculous standard for what their product should look like. Because they're like, oh, that's, that's bad. That's unhealthy. Says who?
1: I had a conversation not too long ago with a person who just couldn't understand why anyone would need to kill any animals. You know, you can just go to the grocery store to get meat. You don't need to kill animals. To
3: <laughs> <beatering>.
1: <laughs> it was. It was at that moment that I was like, "Well, I've got other things to
3: do." I just <laughs> remembered I left my grandma on fire. Sorry, I've got to go. Yeah. Well, I
4: mean, in the future, it
3: might be like that. All well, of
0: the yeah. fake
3: go lab to the market meat.
0: and get some fake meat. So they got yeah. lab
1: grown meat, and then they also have mm-hmm. the uh, insect meat uh, and the. Um, um, yeah, the
3: plant protein stuff. And I mean, so and insect meat is very efficient. Very efficient. To Super cattle. efficient. Yeah, For way example, more efficient. Pretty much all the energy they consume is converted into protein. to protein. Yeah, it's while awesome. The cattle is probably like very inefficient. it is just waste. Yeah.
4: and um, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. And I really admire the innovation that's happening. I admire the people who are passionate about it, creating the new technologies and. But to me, I feel like we have the resources that we need, and that the stuff that we need to focus on is the psychological aspect of it. Mm-hmm. What if you created the fountain of, of youth tomorrow, and then everybody can live forever and this, that, and the other? I mean.
1: Well, that would certainly change a lot of things, but yeah. But I it's
4: mean, just you can create all of these wonderful technologies that people say they really, really want, but then are they still going to use that technology?
1: Or are they going to use it? the way it was intended to be used. Right. right.
4: You know, we could create all these wind technology, like solar panels. I know so many people who have put solar panels on their rooftops and they're making enough, they're getting enough energy from it that they're able to sell that back to the electrical, electrical co-ops. And so they're not getting a bill for their electricity at the end of the month getting they're getting money yeah. at the end of the month so then in that case why isn't everybody putting solar panels on their roof you I don't know, know why that.
1: everybody doesn't do I can put light on that
2: so the thing is uh, we call them prosumers not consumers because they are consuming and producing at the same time in yeah. current uh, policy the way grid works uh, uh, the generations are centralized, then we transport power and give them to load centers. But when there are millions of presumers in the system that has a lot of different threats, uh, one of them is obviously cybersecurity threat. And then even if the system is secure, if a certain part of the system has a fault that can lead to a cascading failure of mm-hmm. the whole system. So we call them active points when they become prosumers because they're actively uh, injecting power. So when there are more active points on the grid, it makes it harder to control. Yes, it's very hard to control. Um, That's why we don't have...
4: And that's fine, and that's fine, but I'm thinking like, okay, so... No, there are solutions
2: coming. So uh, the grid operators, they're giving more incentives to the local, like not, uh, home-level presumers but, like, factory-level presumers to consume and produce at the same time. Because and it, it will happen in near near future.
4: Right. I guess I'm just thinking, okay, so, like, a principle of ethnobotany is that when you are planting whatever it might be that you want for your home that you put the stuff that requires the most amount of attention closest to the home. Why are we not creating like these little communities where this is a self-sustaining community instead of me having to import all of this stuff from thousands of miles away? Why are we not creating little self-sustaining things?
1: Well, I think some people are trying to do that and I think there's a lot a big push in urban environments for indoor growing. Of different kinds. You can do it more efficiently as far as volume per uh, area of crops that you can come out with, but they're limited. Uh, it's mostly leafy green vegetables and the like. Uh, we don't have any starches or um, g- cereal grains that we could use yet in that manner. And once we figure that out for that, that's a game changer as well. Teaching people how to grow food and having them grow food at their own home will probably be a factor. So how, how can we meet all of our needs as a human in a confined space? And that space is going to keep getting smaller in an urban setting as uh, more and more people keep having more and more people, right? So uh, urban spaces are just going to get bigger and taller as more and more people are created because you know, our system is based off of a uh, continuous growth model, which is why it won't work eventually, will topple uh, like a giant tower of jenga it'll just fall apart so we want to not build that system that'll eventually fail we want to have a resilient strong diverse system that can withstand those things so
0: are there certain countries that are leaders in terms of green energy utilization and what are the country specific solutions
1: i mean I'd, i would say the united states is definitely a leader. Uh, just from various efforts here, I mean, we also have a lot of detractors, but I'd say in general, uh, America has pushed towards um, this, this notion that the climate is changing and that we need we need to come up with solutions together.
2: The thing is, but, um, in U.S., there are inventions of different solutions, mm-hmm. but implementation-wise, European countries, they're a bit ahead. And... There are reasons for that, like, here the population is way more than the population of European countries. In terms of global leader, I would say that Germany, then Sweden, those countries have already reached, like, 90% green energy goal, whereas uh, US, China, they are targeting, like, more or less next 30-40 years to reach that. And there are reasons for that. As I mentioned, the population, and there are a lot of different complicacies involved when the economy is way bigger it's country specific solution mm-hmm. uh, we can't say that one country is leading just because they have more uh, renewable energy already planted in in their area. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple, yeah so maybe Bagsby is correct that in u s we are actually the leader in terms of giving the direction to the world and uh, solving the problem, taking everyone together.
0: I'm wondering, yeah, if um, there are other countries that might be doing something like Bologna was mentioning as far as being smart with how they're planning their food and where how they're distributing their, their energy. Like there's... Um, sustainable living communities for sure out there that are starting to plan in that way and starting to reduce their carbon um, footprint and whatnot. But I would be interested to see like how far spread or who else is doing things like that. Because here in the US, we're not really doing it much and it might be, to your point, just our population and our mindset too, which we got on earlier, is a key factor.
3: Surprisingly, China is very aggressive when it comes to um, solar energy, which is surprising um, because we... China is one of the major polluters, but they also have uh, some of the biggest solar farms in the world, right? They have solar farms the size of, like, cities. China's doing a lot of interesting stuff, even with regards to food, with um,
1: greenhouses and stuff, and using passive solar to heat the greenhouses and using different systems, I mean... Um, it definitely helps to have a command economy when you want to make changes to your country. All right. So uh, that's a that's another big factor why I don't think America is the leader uh, is because we have so many
3: opposing forces yeah. here. we have a very uh, libertarian government compared to like Europe, which is they have a very strong central government. Like mm-hmm. the other EU, which even shrinks the national governments and it's in just some pretty, cases. Pretty scary to think about, but yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's what it takes to make things happen in you know, strong social. Which, you know, if we check that, people will be up in arms mm-hmm. with the guns and the capital. Yeah, things like that. Yeah. yeah, they wouldn't stand around let
1: that happen. So that's why you have to be more clever about how you implement these things, because a lot of people wouldn't see it as a, a good thing.
3: Also, Europe is very compact. Like mm. there are cities and countries. Um, you may not even need a car to, like, get around. You can get around with public transportation, which a lot of people, like, likes to be proponents of. But when you consider the distance between American cities between and comparison to, like, distance between European cities, it's a whole different thing. Building a train from, let's say, France to London is a whole different story than a train from New York to... Rally. L.A. or L.A., yeah. Yeah, so, it's
1: not really possible. Yeah, well, I mean, they did it. They, they didn't yeah. have the... But it's it's still um, it's also not it doesn't work area. it doesn't work the way that theirs do. If the climate were to go out of control per se, then um, we'd have to be able to apply te- these technologies immediately uh, to us. So, like, let's say it just quits raining on the east coast of America, and it starts raining like crazy in Nevada or something, right? Yeah. Um, that would cause huge ecological problems and the bread baskets of the world quit being bread baskets it might take a couple of years for us to find the new bread baskets where the land might be not in the right place you know it might be in the mountains of indonesia or something and we have to go there to grow food right and that, that place is you know more jungly and more hilly so it would be harder to, to figure that out. A lot of these technologies I think will will come about by doing things like colonizing Mars or, you know, exploring... Yeah, on Earth the spaces, colonizing
2: so. Mars thing. So, like, you know, the Perseverance uh, went to Mars recently in February. So NASA already tested the MOXI technology, mm-hmm. which is like how to generate oxygen when the carbon dioxide is prevalent in the atmosphere. The byproduct is carbon monoxide, which can react with water to produce hydrogen, which is also a fuel. So it's like a very good combination where you have oxygen and hydrogen, uh, and you can use that for your daily uh, energy consumption. So these type of technologies are getting developed for our survival in other planet. But if Earth's climate goes out of control, they also can be applied to
1: here, right? Mm. Another thing I want to bring up, um, just as easily as the climate can become too warm, it could also flip and become too cold. So uh, I think climate change should also be thought of as anything that's outside of our narrow band of what we think of as normal is unacceptable to most people. So these things, you know, have happened in the past, but they weren't as rigorously... um, copied down and recorded as we have now, all these different systems to to do that. So um, our ability to predict what the climate is going to do has improved, but it's still not really where we need it to be in order to make really big, big assertions. But we do know that because of the greenhouse gas emissions, the earth should be warmer than normal. Maybe over time those emissions will go down if we quit, you know, adding to it continuously so much. the ocean produces tons of oxygen. It consumes a lot of carbon dioxide. You know, if we figure out a solution that might revolve around the oceans in the future and we might be able to have huge algae blooms that consume tons and tons of CO2 and then they sink down to the floor of the ocean to become oil one day, right? So this is part of the natural cycle of things and uh, I think if we're going to really leverage it, we have to involve all of us, all the countries and nature.
0: What responsibilities do we think should be placed on the government versus individuals?
3: Well, I mean, economic incentives are always going to be the best way, at least here, because that's the only way that we will accept um, to be kind of like persuaded. Yeah, I think like the short Term thinking is built into our society. Like if you're a government official, right, you have four years to show what you've done, mm-hmm. um, in order to like get hired again, essentially, right. So, planning things in twenty years where it might not be in your best interest, um, doesn't really might not make sense for their careers, right? Even though it makes sense for the world, a politician might be, hey, might my goal is. To keep oil prices very low for the next four years so I can get re elected again. It's not like, hey, I should tax oil so people will be like, Clusterline, and I made me push to greener energy. It just doesn't work for their personal best interest. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah, political, uh, political courage is rare, it requires yeah. a spine, and most
3: politicians are without that. So. Yeah. And industry is worse because you know, you get. Financial results every quarter, like okay, is your company growing at a pace? Is it growing faster than last quarter? And that is like a constant demand that investors also puts in companies. So it's not like, hey, how are you sustainable? Last quarter, it's like, how did you generate more profit than you did before? And mm-hmm. that is not going to be the most green um, incentive. That, so when you think gonna...
0: when you think about how they need like mass population, they need that greater percentage of people to like them. Yeah. And you want to enforce things that they don't want to do, personally, then how do you how do you balance that? Like <laughs> so that's where
3: marketing comes in. That's now what I is, was gonna
0: say. I think we should target marketing and like networks that broadcast yeah. certain things. So marketing does so so much to our psyche. Are spending
3: <laughs> a lot more money on their on public relations and marketing than they are in actually trying to become carbon neutral because. They appear good to people, mm-hmm. and people will say, okay, this is a good company, they care. But no, they just spend billions on advertising to make themselves look good. Yeah, no, like e- economic incentive is important,
2: but what I feel is the things for which people will get those incentives, those have investment cost, you know, like electric cars. In California, they are giving tax incentives to electric car users. but. Like average electric cars still cost more than mm. the normal fossil fuel car. Even for uh, solar wind utilities, the investment cost initially is a huge thing, especially for other countries. In the U.S. still, they, like I know New York Power Authority, I work with them. So they have a lot of wind farms in the upstate New York, and they're regularly updating their technology from type 3 turbine to type 4 turbine. Whenever the latest is coming, they're installing that. But it's not possible for even all the states in the US. As an individual, we also have some responsibility. Like Even saving water is also uh, saving the planet. Certain small things, it may not seem a big deal, but it adds up to the ocean. I think
4: you're talking about consciousness. I mean, like right now we're in a building and the lights are obviously on in here because it's dark outside and how else we're going to see. How many other lights are on in this building right now in rooms that people aren't in at all? Mm -hmm. You know, we're not, we're not paying attention to it. And I think one of the solutions is for humans to become infinitely more fascinating than they already are. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? so there's books out there, how to make your home a carbon free home. There's books out there, how to make your home a zero waste home. And, you know, you've got a certain subset of people that are really digging it. And then you've got another subset of people who are like, well, they're saving the planet, which means more for me. Right. So he's saving his water, which means I get to use extra water over here. Right. I mean, just become fascinating. Switch it up. If you live close enough to work to ride your bike. Say, I'm going to ride my bike once or twice a week or something. You know what I'm saying? Switch it up. Learn a hobby. Make your home efficient.
3: How
0: hard Composed. is it to do all of that <laughs> stuff, though, to to buy those books, to read those books, to change your habits, to, I mean, if you've got, I, I don't, but if you've got a family of kids and two jobs and you're barely making it day by day, you, you don't have time to read a book. You don't have time to worry about how much water you're spending. You don't have time to ride your bike because you got to take your kids to school too you know so like all of these things that are that we want to do I think we all like have good intentions and want to do it but it's just how do you reach that threshold and when all of these little micro changes add up they, they start to become really overwhelming and to a point where it's like analysis paralysis like I want to do so many things. I don't know how to do them. It costs money to do these good things, too, and change my life and to buy these things and to to figure out how to compost and to, you know, so it just becomes kind of weight weight you down and you don't really know where to start. You're 100% correct, but that's, again, what I'm talking about. It's like
4: when people realize there's a problem, they're like, oh, I have to do a whole 180. I can't just do it by degrees. If you know there's 10 solutions out there, pick one. Just pick one and just start. Just take that first step. And it's like, well, is this step going to be more effective than that step? Who cares? Who cares if you would have made a bigger difference because you composted instead of, you know, sealing your windows? Do something. And think about it. You're right. You've got those kids, so there's only so much you can do. But think about if you did, if you chose number seven on the list and you did that. And they grew up in a home where, like, Mommy I always did number seven, and I want to do seven and number three. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you know what, see what I'm saying? It's mm-hmm.
0: You're not only
4: making the impact in the environment, but when others see you, that's – so many people are leaders and don't even know it. Mm-hmm. They lead these little lives where they, they do all these little things a certain way. And they, and they have no idea who's watching them, but someone is watching, and someone's saying, if they can do it, I can do it, and I'm going to try it a little bit further type of thing. So even just taking that one step on a list of 10 is going to make a difference, and it's, it's going to be like a waterfall effect or a snowball effect. And you
1: might save a lot of money too, which helps. Um, so this is uh, for the average American. Uh, energy demands in a household... is space heating, which is a very inefficient way to heat your home. So if you think about it, homes have gotten bigger over the years. Uh, In the 1950s, the average uh, home was about 1,000 square feet, which worked out to be about uh, 300 square feet per person because it was 3.37 people per home. And in 2010, there's less people in the home at 2.58 on average, but there's over double the amount of space. You got 2,200 square feet is the average home in 2010. So you have to heat and cool a bigger space for less people. That doesn't really make sense, you know. Uh, that was one of the reasons uh, Jimmy Carter's thing was put on a sweater in the winter. You know, turn your thermostat down a little bit. It doesn't have to be 75, it can be 70, right? Or 65 or something, right? Um, hot water. Uh, your hot water heater makes up about 19 percent so if you had uh, on-demand hot water rather than just a big tank of hot water sitting there potentially could save you you know some money and a lot of energy air conditioning is eight percent just uh, the barrier
0: that's to entry to some of these things it just yeah well i think that's why a lot of people don't do these things as mm-hmm. an individual
3: even in winter underground it's always pretty warm mm-hmm. um, yeah so you can have Water storage down there, just add in a little bit of pressure and you can have warm water, but that is also, you know, a huge upstart cost.
1: Well, and if you're if you're using a a, a geothermal system, uh, you really only have to go ten feet down and it'll be, you know, 50, 55 degrees year round, and it's a lot easier to heat your house up from fifty five to seventy than it is from twenty degrees to seventy, right? Mm-hmm so and that also has to do with uh insulation having better insulation and a, a closed envelope for the home uh, system
4: that's what i meant earlier whenever i said we already have all the solutions we need so yeah. there's there's studies done on how much more efficient the heating and cooling of your home is if you have plants around it that create mm-hmm. this buffer zone to retain yeah. the heat in yeah. the winter and to um, creating micro cloths yeah. in the in the summer and it I just feel like we have so many natural solutions. We don't have to come up with... I mean, it's great to come up with new materials. We can. We do need new materials. But you have a centuries-old <laughs> material right there that all you have to do is plant it.
1: So mm-hmm. even even a great example of this thing, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but um, so in North Carolina and a lot of the South, they would build the houses uh, up off the ground, and then you'd also have... Uh, higher ceilings, and this created a, a cooling effect in the summer where the hot air would rise up and then uh, you'd have a, a breeze going underneath the house and through the house, you know, through the windows and things. And, you know, it, it wasn't as cool, or cool as uh, AC and it didn't help with the uh, uh, mildew and such from the humidity of the air, but it was tolerable. And uh, back then they were. Quite a bit of clothes they didn't walk around in athleisure wear
4: is it japan or is it china i think it's japan yeah. that the way they would design their homes is that um not only would they orient it just right um to where the prevailing winds are but they built it in such a manner that they could just pour water on the stoop and when the air was come being blown through it's it works the same way that a cool cell does or like yeah. those evaporative cooling systems So um, the water would cool down the air while it's being pulled through the house, and it was like a natural AC Mm -hmm. instead of having to run your own AC. I mean, there's so many. That's why I said we just need to become infinitely more fascinating because there's a ton of little tiny solutions you can do or even if you just orient something in a different direction. I mean, think about your bed in your room. You know, you could orient it in a different way, and you feel like you get sleep in a much different manner. I mean, there's little tiny differences all across the board that you can make and just make some small impact and it still it adds
0: up. So what hope do we have looking towards the future?
3: You know, there is hope that poverty mm-hmm. will um, alleviate a bit because you mentioned people in third world countries don't care about climate change because they're their top priority is surviving you know, today and like my child may not live past five because he might die of malaria so I don't care about, you know, six years later when we about, you know, not having um, sustainable, you know, soil, right? That's not really my primary concern. But the first world country, even though it is the most, you know, it consumes a lot of resources. It's only just, like, a small fraction of the world, right, compared to everything else. So even though there is, like, a lot of small countries that are third world, but when you add them together, they become bigger than third world. So their impact on their environment is is uh, uh, pretty significant as well. So doing that uh, is... Living poverty, it's maybe someone can shed some light on that. Because I know as you become richer, your standard of living rise, and that creates more consumption. Um, but also decreases cons- other types of consumption. Yeah. Well, well, speaking
0: anyway. of, we're doing a lot of work to help third world countries thrive or try to, like there was, I know this is only one example, but the bike that um, they invented that can sustain your energy in your home for a day, like those are getting donated to third world countries so that they can actually have energy. And if you think about those people that are now getting technology, internet, and starting to um, quickly, more quickly educate themselves, all of those minds are going to now be helping us in this larger problem and not to mention all of the babies and kids that are growing up that are going to come up with ideas that we can't even think of right now
3: yeah and then they're going to want to consume more energy too so of course I yeah so I, it's sort really important that as we I know that you know what was it Joe Biden that says we're not like nation builders and everything but we're actually or nation builders and so a really good thing is like the way that things stood out there's a lot of, uh, I guess, momentum for it to stay that way, which is, you know, because we're happy right now, we're reluctant to change. Mm-hmm. So it's important that as we live with those people out of poverty, we start them off in a sustainable way mm-hmm. instead of, you know, just shipping our used cars to, like, third-world countries because, you know, it's we like... We ship our trash to Yeah, we world ship countries. our trash to third-world countries. Mm-hmm. But that's probably... You know, maybe it's not the best idea to ship our you know ten mile per gallon cars to Africa because, hey, that's, you know, we're not we're thinking, hey, wait, I got the end of this car, and I got a Tesla, so I'm uh, you know, we're greener now, but no, your car is like, being driven by, you know, this guy, it's it's still polluting. Joe the plumber. Yeah. Right, Joe the plumber in Nigeria, and, Nigeria, and yeah, Nigeria, that's yeah. still the same era that everything. Yeah. So.
4: I think I think it's. I think it's really great if I have something that you need and you and you genuinely need it and I have the ability to give it to you. I just think that we have to be careful when we do that because, again, it might be a linear solution instead of a cyclical one mm-hmm. from the standpoint of, like, if you've ever watched Poverty, Inc., and they talk about all of the... You know, we talk about these charities that we give all this money to and, and because we want to feel like we've done something, we just give money and we don't see what the end result is. And like with Toms, if you buy one, Tom we will donate a pair of shoes to all the kids in Africa who don't have shoes, right? Well, what you end up doing is you put cobblers in Africa out of business because what business can compete with free? If I, if I make shoes for a living, but they're just being, you know, landing on our doorsteps for free, I, I can't continue to make shoes for a living. I won't survive. Kind of like when Bill Clinton decided that we were going to drop all this rice in, I forget what country we did it in, I think it was Africa as well, and then you put all the rice farmers out of business, because again, you can't compete with free. So we might be disguising something as, oh, we're being so benevolent and we're making a difference, but did we consult the people that were... Giving all of this to, and then looking at what does it do to their economics. I'm not saying anything against Bill Clinton if you love Bill Clinton, but what if it was a strategic move to keep a certain country always in a developing status instead of being able to become economically strong and then you know be viable on on an international scale. Yeah,
1: you know I, mean, I think
3: the World Bank does a good enough job at that. Yeah. So. Um, Else, well, this is like a little bit of a diversion as well, but if you've uh, a <laughs> Been looking at what's been happening in Haiti lately. Mm-hmm. Like they recently hit a pretty much, I won't say an all-time low, but a pretty generational low. Yeah, with the assassination of their president. You know, when you talk about two Haitians and economists about, hey, you know, we're giving you all this foreign aid, like billions of dollars a year, and all this foreign aid, right? You know, you should be getting better, but things are getting worse. But it turns out, you know, foreign aid is a crutch that is making their the society worse. Bologna mentioned, yeah, like in the, a few decades ago, right? Haiti was, you know, it's an agricultural country. It exported, um, that was its, its entire economy. Then, you know, they just decided, hey, we don't want to be, be dependent anymore when they export. So now you flood, you know, the Caribbean with rice, mm. which was the main crop. And now, well, all the farmers, well, we can compete with factory farmed rice. That is... lot cheaper. So now all those people go out of business. You know, when that supply constraints again, now you're like, well, we don't really have any other industries. So the way that front aid is structured in, let's say, a country like that is based on need. So the government is that, well, if we, you know, create those jobs, really we don't get anything for it. So let's say your economy improves by, your GDP increases by five billion. Then your front aid increases by five billion. So why would I... Do that. There is a lot of psychology that goes into that that people don't.
1: There's also a lot of a big problem with um, corruption. You know, if you put your money in a certain foundation and then it uh, (laughs) disappears before it gets to the people that need it, how are you supposed to keep track of that? How are you supposed to know that a certain person lined their pocket with uh, almost all the money, right? And that was like when I was in Kenya, they had a similar problem with um, clothing, as you were saying, with shoes. You know, I saw people walking around with shirts that looked like they were from the 80s. And there was just stuff that Goodwill couldn't sell, basically. And they would just ship it over to different places and dump it for practically free. Meanwhile, if you were, let's say, a fashion person in Nairobi and you wanted to have your own line of clothing... Uh good luck, bud. I think it's going to be really hard to get that done because there's no one in Kenya that can make
3: it anymore because all those places have gotten closed out. Uh, the same with so many other things that happen. There is a lot of the humanitarian efforts that are being done by large companies. Let's mm. say Facebook, they want to connect the world. So, you know, you can get, you know, your education, you can do banking, you can empower, you know, women to be more independent. But the real incentive is you want more Facebook users you want to advertise to the entire world right. for example Facebook has a light version of um, their app that consumes less data right mm-hmm. so you don't need all those infrastructure and they have those balloons and drones that fly over leaving internet but that internet is not good enough for let's say for you to go to school online or mm-hmm. to work online but it's good enough for Facebook lite to work so all of a sudden you're like huh mm-hmm is what are really their incentives. Well, hopefully with
1: things like Starlink coming online soon, we'll uh, be able to get around all of that. Starlink will connect everyone in the world to the Internet, and then we'll be able to find
3: all the geniuses out there that are busy herding sheep right now. We can trust the government to a certain extent, but we can trust corporations.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, because it is, at the end of the day, they're our business, and their customers are, I mean, their investors are their bosses. It's going to be always about profit. And the way that we can talk to them is with dollars and cents. So we have to go with our money.
0: We can't do it all tonight. We can't do it all tomorrow with a steady pace and priority over time, we'll get there together. Next month, we've got a special spooky episode for you. Well, spooky for some and enlightening for others. I'm really looking forward to digging into it. We'll see you then.